Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to the third episode of FFS, another Brexit podcast. I'm Abby Tomlinson, standing in for Amanda this week. And I'm Jason Arthur. And we're here to give you all the latest Brexit cock-ups, bust-ups, and to let you know when someone is acting like a proper Jeremy Hunt. This campaign is different and so is this podcast, so we will be giving you new voices and diverse perspectives that you simply won't hear anywhere else. So this week we have a very special and exciting guest on the podcast, potential and frankly presumptive Liberal Democrat leader Joe Swinson. Joe is known both inside and outside of politics as someone who's got elected incredibly young to be an MP and has consistently fought for women's and mother's rights in Parliament and across the UK. It's fair to say that Joe has very different politics to our previous guests, Ian Dale and Laura Parker. And our conversations with them can be found on all good podcast platforms. So you can't say we're not cross-party. And we're going to be chatting to her about all things Brexit and people's votes, so stay tuned. Anyone who, uh, shockingly, shockingly. <laughs> hasn't been with FFS, another Brexit podcast from the very start, a little about for our future's sake itself. So 15 months ago, a group of us in a pub decided to try and mix it up on the Brexit front, get young people from diverse backgrounds into the debate. And hopefully 15 months later, we are succeeding. Are we succeeding, Abby? I, th- I think we're succeeding. We're okay. doing pretty well. I'll, I'll, I'll well. take your word for it. <laughs> Now on to the part of the podcast where we talk about things that have grabbed our attention in the past week. It wouldn't be the People's Vote campaign if we weren't making our case across the country. So last weekend we were in Cheltenham on Saturday where over 300 people went to a political rally on the hottest day of the year so far. We had current Lib Dem leader Vince Cable, local Green MEP Ellie Chowns and FFS's very own Hilary Gayebi Ababio uh, who gave an incredible speech. Yeah, I may be biased, but she, for me, gave comfortably the best speech. Uh, What a high-key hero. Uh, And I believe, Abby, you also have a fun fact about Cheltenham. Is that true? I do, yes. So when I was doing my research, I found out that Cheltenham would be particularly affected by Brexit because of the world-famous horse racing festival that takes place there. And a no-deal would mean that the current agreement in place between Ireland, France and Britain that enables horses to move safely, dating back to the 1960s, would be void. Is that your idea of a fun fact? I, th- I think so, you know. The horse is going to be stuck. That was a, that was a terrible <laughs> fact. But anyway, <laughs> listeners, there, there you go. Horses, no freedom of movement for, for horses. And so we have possibly one of the most dangerous times in our country's recent history. You know, a new prime minister who will almost certainly shape the future of our nation for generations to come and how, what have we spent a significant amount of our week talking about? Socks. Whether whether Boris Alexander, whatever his name is, has all the same socks for several days in a row, or, or who would win a mud wrestling match between Hunt and Johnson, or when Boris Johnson last got his hair cut. does feel a particularly bad week on the no-one-gives-a-damn front. It reminds me of this article that Boris Johnson wrote about a decade ago about his dead cat strategy. You know, if you're wrong or you have no answers, just throw a dead cat on the table and people will say, oh my God, there's a dead cat and just talk about that rather than the thing they were challenging you on. It kind of seems like he's using that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm tired of looking at dead cats. Linton Crosby, 
Boris Johnson, leave those cats alone. Maybe they were the Croydon cat killer. (laughs) 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 I wasn't expecting it to go there, but fair. (laughs) I personally, this week, I know this isn't fully Brexit related, but in a vain attempt to seem down with the youth, I want to give a shout out to Stormzy. A, because Stormzy, like me, is Ghanaian. So there's a bit of pride in seeing a, a Ghanaian young man rocking Glastonbury. Uh, B, because based on all of the images of the crowd, it looks like all of the black people at Glastonbury were on stage with him. It is exceedingly white, which I just think is uh, quite funny, seeing them all bopping down to uh, grime. But obviously, most importantly for us in the context of Brexit, it was seeing Stormzy get 200,000 people shout profanities about the government and Boris Johnson, which was, you know, delightful. It was a stormer. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So Stormzy, if you are listening to this, you are almost certainly not listening to this. But if you are <laughs> listening to this, uh, number one, you're a hero. Number two, please do back uh, a people's vote. And number three, please do come on our podcast. I, f- I feel like every week now we should either ask Stormzy or Piers Morgan to come onto our podcast. How do you feel about that? I think we should have them both on at the same time. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> I that, think he would, that would be, he would uh, destroy Piers. That would be genius. <laughs> and there are, as always, several things to get really excited about in the upcoming week for Team FFS. Uh, firstly, we'll be in Sunderland on Sunday the 7th of July as the next part of our Let Us Be Heard campaign. So expect more sensational young FFS speakers to be announced shortly. And we'll also be at London Pride with our partners LGBT Plus for a people's vote, talking about LGBT Plus rights that are being threatened by Brexit. And finally, every day that passes is another day closer to the end of the Conservative Party leadership contest, which has, by all accounts, been pretty horrific. I cannot wait for that to be over. Yeah, and that gives me a brilliant segue into our next topic, which is to interview a high-profile leadership contender for another party. Joe, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our humble little podcast today. So thank you so much for joining us. Really good to be with you. Really looking forward to it. So the first question is the same one we always ask our guests on this podcast. And if you could give an FFS award to someone for doing something ridiculous in the context of Brexit, who would it be and why? I would choose Jeremy Corbyn for going on holiday in the middle of the campaign when he was supposed to be (laughs) leading a party in favour of staying in the EU. (laughs) Definitely, that gets an FFS award from me. I'm in straight in with the the fire there. Uh, Right, so great answer. Um, Let's kick off then with, I guess, your leadership. Your, your run. Well, um, yeah, it's been a busy few weeks. We've got the uh, the ballot papers are already out with Lib Dem members. Most people are voting by email, uh, but some people are getting a paper ballot paper. And it's been you know, zigzagging across the country, meeting with hundreds of Lib Dem members. There's been a lot of good turnout at the hustings. The party, as you can imagine, is in a really good mood right now after our great European and local election results. And obviously very, very united in... In, uh, in fighting for a people's vote to stop Brexit. That's been one of the key issues that's been coming up at, at all of the, the hustings meetings. And uh, yeah, people are really up for the fight. Yeah, and I, I guess previously, if a presumptive leader or leader of the Lib Dem said, I'm getting ready for number 10, there would be some eye rolls. <laughs> but looking at the recent polling, YouGov polling, if Labour 
continues to be ambivalent and if the Tories fail to deliver Brexit is suggesting that actually the Lib Dems might have a decent chance. Well there was certainly a poll last week that suggested we could come top and get 30% and and win the election uh, in, in that scenario so there's no limit on my ambition for the Liberal Democrats and, and actually for our country because you know it's so depressing when people look at uh, you know the Tory leadership race and seeing Boris Johnson likely to become our next Prime Minister. You've got Nigel Farage with his slightly bizarre rally with the air raid sirens, which, you know, I thought, mm, yeah, that's that's a bit weird. And then you've got, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn, who, who I've already given an award to, you know, don't say I'm not generous, um, <laughs> you know, who, you know who's, who's just been missing an action on the issue and saying, well, like, maybe we'll have a chat about this in a few weeks and, and maybe we'll come to some kind of position at some point. I mean, really, there's a bit of a crisis going on, Jeremy, if you've not noticed. So, so it's depressing when you look around at those parties. And that's where I think as the Liberal Democrats, we've got a huge opportunity for our for our country because there needs to be a more positive alternative and that's what we're offering. And in terms of, I guess, the difference between you and the other leadership candidate, so Ed Davey, based on your performances so far and what you've said, it feels like there's quite a lot in common between you and him. So just talk a little bit more about why you think you're, you're better placed to lead. Uh, so, I mean, we are a united party at the moment and very clear about where we're going, our opposition to Brexit and uh, and our sort of policy perspectives going forward, tackling the climate emergency, fighting inequality. And, uh, and so in a sense, it's not surprising that we've been agreeing on a lot. Where I think I have the edge is on media profile. It's on reaching out to new voters right across the country, across the generations. And across traditional party lines too. I mean, we've had 20,000 new voters, join, new members join us in the last few weeks, many of whom have come to us from the Labour Party or the Conservative Party or have been in Change UK. Uh, obviously, Chuka Amuna joined us at a parliamentary level. And the relationships I have with people in other parties and my non-tribal way of doing politics, I think is really important for the moment we're at right now. And how likely do you generally think it is that there will be a people's vote? And what do you want the Lib Dems role to be in securing that vote? I think it's absolutely possible for us to secure a people's vote. There's no guarantees about anything. It's very uncertain in politics at the moment, which we all know, having sort of been living it for, for, uh, for recent years. But the, the risk of us crashing out without a deal I think makes it more possible to get conservative MPs who haven't yet backed a people's vote to do so. I mean, bluntly, if you if you want to, you know, operate in politics, you need to be able to count. We got 280 votes for a people's vote last time round in in March, and in order to be able to get that through, we need what an extra 35 or, or 40 people to back it. We might get a few more from Labour, but mainly where we need to get more votes in Parliament is from the Conservatives. Now. Interestingly, I think there's quite a lot of current Conservative ministers who have been loyally supporting Theresa May's deal, collective responsibility and so on, but who have behind the scenes been arguing for a different approach and in some cases for a people's vote. And that's where I think perhaps the biggest opportunity lies in getting those people to to come on board, particularly if you end up with a Boris Johnson prime ministerial kind of 
botching further of Brexit and and as he currently seems to be embracing uh, no deal. So so that's where the that's where the moment of opportunity is, and that does probably come in the autumn, which of course feels quite worrying because of the thirty first of October deadline. There are a few elements to both of your last answers. I just want to unpick because part of your appeal as the prospective leader is that you're able to reach across party lines in terms of uh, securing a people's vote. Labour in particular are going to be important as well as um, those Tory uh, ministers, junior ministers. But yet in previous interviews, you've been really clear that actually in terms of propping up a a possible Labour government or entering into a coalition with them, you're not prepared to do that. And so they feel as though they clash to a certain extent, right? Well, except we're being really clear about our view on Brexit and it's about our core values and principles. So I'm working with loads of Labour MPs who also want a people's vote and to stop Brexit. And frankly, they're pretty frustrated with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership on or lack of leadership on this issue too. Uh, so so I, I don't think there is that that tension there in the same way because Labour is in itself a, quite a dysfunctional place on the Brexit issue and hasn't been from its leadership providing uh, uh, providing that vision uh, that uh, you would normally expect and hope that the official opposition would do. But yeah, very much working with Labour MPs, with Tory MPs, with uh, SNP and Plaid MPs, with the kind of remaining change and independent group MPs, Caroline Lucas. I mean, you know, it really is very much a cross-party uh, a cross-party campaign for a people's vote and that's what gives it strength. So if Labour's official position shifted so it was unequivocally in favour of a people's vote so that it's not just then working with backbenchers but the main opposition that's what they're advocating for does that then shift your position on whether you'd be prepared to work with them in a coalition or in a demand and supply type I, arrangement? I don't think Jeremy Corbyn should be Prime Minister I, do, I don't think he's I don't think he is fit to do the job and uh, and also I think this is a bit of a hypothetical because it, he clearly wants Brexit to happen and that I mean that I mean that's a pretty sort of devastating state of affairs when so many Labour members and voters are is that fair? dismayed that he, by Brexit. He clearly wants it to ha- I mean you but, can argue that he hasn't gone far enough or fast I, enough I, I but just, is, it, is it fair yeah, to say I that he clearly say, wants it to happen? Well uh, you know he refuses to say how he would vote if there were a people's vote, you know, so if you didn't want Brexit to happen, it'd be quite easy to say that you would, you know, vote to remain and campaign to remain in in a people's vote. And and he hasn't. And so I don't think there's any other explanation for why he has sort of choked on the words people's vote, even after the drubbing he's had in the elections. And uh, if we look back for a minute rather than forward, obviously you were part of the coalition government. And there are plenty of people, and I would suggest quite a lot of the Labour Party, who would argue that six years of austerity, six years of the services being cut in people's lives made Brexit and the conditions necessary for it actually more likely. So I guess my question is, do you think... Brexit would have happened without austerity and do you think the Liberal Democrats should sort of hold themselves responsible for that if that is the case? Well I think that Liberal Democrats you know when we were in government you'll have noticed there was not a referendum on whether we should stay in the European Union or not that was something which only happened when the Conservatives got a majority Mm. and in fact if you look back at what David Cameron said in making that pledge he didn't believe that he would necessarily be winning a majority and so he didn't believe he would have to deliver that because he knew what the Liberal Democrat view on that would have been. So actually, when we were in government, we you know stopped there being a referendum on membership of the European Union and uh, you know therefore I, I kind of think the premise of your question you know it's it's kind of the opposite 
you know, do I think that we need to transform our economy? Yes, it's not working well enough for people. And part of what led to the Brexit vote was the fact that our economy has not worked well enough for a large group of people for many years. And, you know, that that probably actually goes back decades, but it, in the wake of the financial crash has become much more obvious with a, a decade of wage stagnation. So I do think that we need to we need to look at radical ideas to to reshape our economy so that it works for people and so that it also works for our planet so we can tackle the climate emergency and we actually have uh, something valuable to hand on to future generations. There are most, multiple issues underpinning why Brexit happened. I think it's fair to say one of them is a lack of trust, faith in Westminster and people wanting to change things, mix things up, break the system. Part of that uh, issue of lack of trust arguably uh, can be pinned on the Lib Dems in terms of tuition fees, where certainly with younger voters, I think there was uh, a feeling as though the Lib Dems had betrayed their commitment. To what extent do you think the Lib Dems have repaired that relationship? And how would you continue to repair that relationship uh, as leader of the Lib Dems? Well, I certainly think that the way in which we have been absolutely determined and steadfast in sticking up for our principles on that we are better off in the European Union, working with other countries collaboratively to tackle the big challenges we face, whether that's the climate emergency, whether that's international terrorism, whether that's how you uh, improve prosperity. You know, that, that sort of total dedication to standing up for what we believe in. I think people have respected that, even people who disagree with us on it. I've had conversations with people who voted leave who at least say, well, look, we know where we we know where you stand and you've been very straightforward about it from from the very beginning. So I think I think that message that we have on stopping Brexit is one that definitely resonates with younger voters. And actually the the way in which we're a party that does prioritise the environment and we have done, I mean, for decades we've had every manifesto that we've produced has had, you know, not little a little couple of pages at the end saying what we do in the environment, but, you know, green policies running through every single area from transport to energy to uh, how we work with other countries around the world uh, to, you know, healthcare education, because it has to be a fundamental part of how you approach all of the policies of government and that climate emergency, you know, as the scientists tell us, you know, the, the need for urgent action uh, has never been greater and Liberal Democrats will continue to prioritise as we delivered, you know, a massive increase in renewable energy, for example, when we were in government. And our final question, if you can make one prediction about the state of British politics, Brexit or the Liberal Democrats say in six months time, what would it be? Uh, well, the first thing I would say is that it will be unpredictable. Maybe that's the safest prediction to make. That feels uh, like a cop out. <laughs> yeah, it does. All right. It's like, you know, you get a, you, you rub a lamp and your genie comes out and uh, you make a wish and you ask for three more wishes. Okay. Uh, so I will say that, uh, yeah, I think the Liberal Democrats will go from strength to strength because hopefully under my leadership, we will manage to reach out to more people of the, the disaffected right across the country, right across the political spectrum, who will see us as their political home in the campaign to stop Brexit and stay with all the benefits of members of the European Union. Great. Thank you very much for your time. I know you've got to jet off now for another (laughs) husting somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, really, really really good to uh, take part in the podcast and uh, absolutely keep up all the campaigning. I think what FFS are doing is amazing. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Well, that's all we've got time for. I want to say a big thank you for to Joe Swinson for joining us today. Yeah, and thank you as well, Abby, because you stepped in for Amanda. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I, I think I like it. you more than Amanda. <laughs> no, no, don't tell Amanda that. <laughs> I, I don't think she listens. Does she listen? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> our producer is nodding, saying she definitely <laughs> listens. Um, so thank you. Uh, and please do, if you're listening to this, uh, my Uber driver pitch Rate us on iTunes and keep <laughs> listening. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.